turning to 1 Samuel chapter 14, please. And I want you to open your Bible there and keep it open because it's the Word of God that we need to hear from again this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 14. When we come to this 14th chapter of 1 Samuel, King Saul is two years into his kingship. Up until now, he has enjoyed a measure of success, blessing, and victories. But alas, in a very short time, His fame and his fortune took a massive swing downwards in the poles. His army, his great army is hemorrhaging daily. His people are fleeing to the hideouts and the mountains and the caves and they're crossing back over the Jordan in fear. His credibility, his authority and his leadership has degenerated Israel into an all-time low. A great nation, covenanted God's covenanted people, with all the promises of land, of milk and honey and everything else, had become a laughingstock and a spectacle among the nations. The Philistines who Saul was raised up to destroy are now in the process of destroying them and did destroy him later on. They're outmaneuvered, outnumbered, outclassed, outgunned, for they'd taken all their weapons away, and the only sword could be found in the land was one with the king Saul and his son Jonathan. God, worse than that, my friends, God had withdrawn his Holy Spirit from him. And the crown was figuratively removed from his head and given on to another in some years after. Hiding with his 600 men, trembling under a fruit tree in Gibeah, that's where he is. And there they wait for the final push. They wait for the final assault of their enemies to finish them and to wipe them out. He is caved in. His men are all trembling. And as far as he's concerned, they're conquered and they're captured and the whole thing is over. I tell you, it was a heartbreaking scene to see some of his great army men join the ranks of Philistia and were fighting against their own people. And as we saw last week, when all seemed to be lost, And so often that is the way with God, my friend, when all seems to be lost. Don't you give up this morning. When all seem to be lost, God intervened. And you may be at Wits End Corridor this morning, but you listen, you hold on, he'll intervene. 
You just give him time. And God intervened and he raised up out of the ranks two young men, the king's son, Jonathan, and his armor bearer. And these two young men, full of patriotic zeal and fire, united together with vigor and with vision, and of the one heart, moved alone towards the enemy. They were fueled by the fact that they were from the tribe of Benjamin, the wolf tribe, the tribe that was the ravening, ravening wolf in the morning and devoured the prey at night and divided the spoil. The tribe that they could know in Deuteronomy where it says, they'll dwell safely and he'll cover them all the day long. I tell you, they took powerful, powerful encouragement from the fact of their past forefathers. Caleb, men and judges that they saw, and they took powerful fact of that, and not only from their tribe, but from their truth. They quoted truth. They said, we'll go, we'll go. It's nothing to God to save many or to save few. (laughs) They took that from Gideon. And so these two men, two men on fire for God, turned the whole business round and routed the Philistines and put them on the run. Now as we continue this morning comparing the kingdom of Israel to the kingdom of God in this day, there's a very similar trust. There's a very similar vein runs through all this in 1 Samuel 13 and 14 that we are bringing out in other Sunday mornings. The church this morning, the evangelical church this morning is decimated. But people will not admit it. The evangelical church in Ulster this morning is on the run. And to a measure she's humiliated and frustrated and powerless. My goodness, if we had power we wouldn't be in the state that we're in. There's only one answer to it, my friend. And there's one answer glaring and staring here out of these chapters this morning, these verses this morning, and stares us on the face across the province if we will admit it. It comes down to leadership. Leadership. And I want to speak on leadership this morning. Moses is gone. Joshua's gone. Gideon's gone. Barak's gone. Deborah's gone. There's no leader. There's no leader because he's in a position that God didn't want him in. He let him have it, but he he wasn't called of God. He wasn't God's man. He was the men's men. And when you get men's men and not God's men, you have frustration in leadership and you have power in the pulpit and you have paralysis in the pew. I would love to go through this land of ours this morning and find out ministers and pastors about their call of God. For there's a lot of nonsense talked about calls of God today. I tell you, if men and women had the call of God, their churches wouldn't be in the state they're in. No, the one thing this boils down to, my friend, is nothing but leadership. Good, sound, honest, courageous, unswerving, undaunted leadership. 
And the people here were crying out for it. And I'll show you in a moment when they got a bit of it what they did. Look at verse 18. And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God. You see, he didn't, there was such confusion and there was such a noise going on, he thought they were just coming in to slaughter them. And he said to Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass while Saul talked unto the priests, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, Withdraw thine hand. Notice that phrase, because I'll be drawing attention to it in a minute. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. Oh, aye, they're coming to the battle now. They all came to the battle. Every one of them. Every man's sword was against his fellow. That's the enemy. And there was a very great discomfiture. Now watch this verse. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, the back again, and were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed half hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day. And you need to note that. Nothing to do with Jonathan. They were just God's instruments. And the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle passed over unto Bethaven. You see when these boys got a bit of leadership. You see when they got a bit of, a few sound men to go in front of them and to blaze the trail. They come out of the heights. They come out of the mountains. They come back from the Philistines. They say we're on. We're on. We're going. We're going into the battle. Verse 22. And the men of Israel were distressed that day for Saul had adjured the people saying cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening that I may avenge on mine enemies, so none of the people tasted any food. And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. Sometimes the honey flowed from the rocks, and sometimes it come from the trees. God give it to his people. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped. But no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath, wherefore he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. They answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. They were weary and tired in the battle. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you how mine eyes have been enlightened, and because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if happily the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found, for had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines, in other words, if you took the honey, we'd have finished the battle quicker. There'd have been more victory, there'd have been more power. 
Verse 31, And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Alidlon, and the people were very faint. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. And so we'll end the reading there and ask God to bless that reading of his word. Now I'm going to close this meeting this morning with a text. Don't often do that on Sunday morning, but a a text of Scripture that comes right from the heart of government. It comes from the second command to the throne, from the very throne room itself, Prince Jonathan. And it's in verse 29. Set your eyes upon it. Then said Jonathan, My father has troubled the land. What a damning statement. And what a revelation it throws on these texts of Scripture these Sunday mornings. My father had troubled the land. Now, no one knows a man better than his wife. And God and his wife. And few know men and fathers better than their children. They're the one who watches and listens. They're the one who sees what goes on behind the closed doors. They're the one that sees the man in the raw, outside the public persona, in the rough and tumble of family life. And young people, Jonathan was only a young man, and young people observe quietly and take in more than you could ever imagine. Now, why this young 20-year-old makes this incriminatory statement, I don't know. But I do know that it's perfectly true and far more. Now, whether he should have made this statement before the men is questionable. In my opinion, probably he shouldn't have. But it seems that his father was not approachable. He never told his father when he was going out to write them out. And you can see on through the later story that there was a there was a there was a gap between father and son, a great gap. And it was out of sheer frustration that this young man rang out this text. You know, sometimes, and I'm speaking to you young people, sometimes you young people make statements about your father and mother that later years you live to regret. You're, you're looking at one this morning. You live to regret it. 
You're to honor your father and mother that the days may be long in the land. And no matter what goes on in the home, of course, if it's not criminal or abuse or things like that, whatever goes on in the home, just in the ordinary trade of life, it's better kept to yourself. It's not good to hang out the dirty washing to the public. It not only applies to children in the house, it applies to men and women, men, men and wives. Now, sit up this morning. And there's times that you have to come out for private counseling. Surely there is. But it's not conducive to a good marriage to be talking about your husband and your wife in public. I don't care how close your friends are. Not good. And if the Holy Spirit's diving something in here this morning, you just take it from the Lord. It's not good. That was the problem with Isaac and Rebecca. They were divided home and they split their children and the Oh, what an awful scene it ended up in. What an awful scene. You see, whenever God took a wife, a woman for Adam, he took, he took, he took the bone from his side, close to the heart, So that he might love her and cherish her and obey her. He didn't take it from the head to lord over her, or the feet to trample on her, or the hands to slay for him. Took it to show us of compassion and love and unity together one with another. And you read you over your marriage vows. And you'll be reminded of that, and it would do a whole lot of us good, including the preacher. I went over the marriage vows twice here this year in this place, and every time I do, it speaks to my own heart. Now, I want to hang on this text as it closed this morning two reasons why I think Jonathan made this conclusion. Just two reasons this morning. To show you why I, as I study this word, think that why Jonathan made this statement this morning. My father has troubled the land. And the first reason I come up with this, that Saul was practicing a form of godliness. He was putting on an appearance a formula, a semblance of reality. Do you remember what Paul the Apostle said in the last days? He talks about the form of godliness, having a form of godliness, put a big ring around that form, a semblance, an appearance, a formula of godliness. But 
denying the power thereof. He had no power. And the power was gone. Jesus commented on that and he said, They draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. God help us. Would it be that we sang with our lips this morning and say amen with our lips? God is far from us. That's why I started the meeting as I did without him. You see, Saul had lost the power, he had lost the anointing, he had lost the respect, and he had lost control. And he was still reigning. Now, I must make this point, and I've made it often before. He was still reigning, and he still reigned for another 15 years in the state. And I, alas, I have to say sadly this morning as I search my heart over this, there are many ruling and reigning over assemblies and over churches this morning in our land. Many. And they've lost anointing if they ever had it. And they've lost the respect and they've lost control. They're still going on. And the meetings can still go on, and the singing can still go on, and the table can still go on, and the crowds can still go on, and the singing can still go on. It can all go on, but is God there? Plenty of form, formula. We have a formula for this, we have a formula for that, before. all for no God. Is God there? That's what you have to ask. Now look at verse 18. When the battle started to rage, he didn't know what was happening. And here's what he did. He said unto Hathiah, bring hither the ark of God. Now let me stop there a moment. The ark is one of the most beautiful types of Christ in the word of God. This gold speaks of his deity, the word of his humanity, and the rings round the thing speaks of eternity and so on. We all know that. We should know it. You know your Bible at all. This is one of the, one of the beautiful types of Christ. Now, he's in a tight corner. He's in a tight corner. Oh, he hears the noise, and he hears the confusion, and he hears the Philistines. And he says, where's Jonathan? Where's the armor bearer? Where are these other men? Where are they? What's happening here? What's Here, Ahia, bring the ark. Bring Christ into it. And he should have known, and we know when we read that word, Ahia was a brother of Achapods. And Achapod was the glory was departed. And God brought that in there to show us that glory has departed. And you can bring all the arcs you like. Now hear me this morning. This is a word from God. Oh, 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 bring, 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 bring Christ into it. Bring God into it. Oh, pray, pray, get God into it. God's gone. He's gone. Can I say a wee word to those who are not saved this morning? Sinner, would it be that he's gone and it's too late? Hmm? You've tinkered and fiddled about long enough and 
There comes a time when God will go. My spirit shall not always strive with man. Now, you're not saved this morning. This could be the last crack you'll get from God. Or sit up. What do you think happened to Esau? The very man out of the house that we're speaking about earlier. Esau. Esau wept his way into hell. But out of a godly home, wept his way into hell. Some of you will weep your way into hell, and you weep in hell all eternity. You want a watered-down gospel? Don't be coming here. You'll weep. But boy, Esau says, I can find no place of repentance, though I've sought it carefully with tears. God help us. Too late. And Judas can kiss and all he likes and he can cry all he likes and he can fire the, the money down and all he likes, but it was too late. Take care now this morning. Don't you, you, you think that you can run for Christ whenever you like? Won't you just say when you're in the death, but bring, 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 bring the word, bring Christ. If you're liking, if you're thinking like that, you know nothing about the Word of God. You know less about the Spirit of God. Oh, get, get, pray for me. Get the Lord. It's too late, sir. I trust us not. I trust us not. Saint of God this morning. Don't you start getting all excited and all religious now when you get to a dose of COVID. Or you're diagnosed with a cancer. Now you turn on the news someday and you see the earthquakes and the fearful sights that Jesus promised in these last days was coming upon the land. And, and you see the enemy coming in like a flood. And all get, don't you just be running to the Lord and think that you can just dictate to the Lord then? After spending a wasted years and wasted life. Oh, it's not a doormat for you. You fiddled away the, your life after business, after pleasure, after money, after cars, after houses, after pleasure. Don't you think that you can click your fingers and God will come running to you? Not a bit of nothing. You'll die a wretch. I heard a man my age many years ago go down before God and, and, and he cried, oh, Lord, I surrender all. I said to myself, you're a bit late. Oh, Lord, I surrender all. Well, I tell you, I'm 75 years of age, and I haven't much left to offer the Lord. I wouldn't like to be getting down before the Lord this morning and saying, Lord, Lord, for the first time in my life, I'm going to surrender all to you. <clears throat> That's a mockery. And I say to the saint, and I say to the sinner, and I say to the servants of the Lord that are in the Lord's work and in the Lord's ministry this morning, don't do what Saul did. Trifling and tinkering with the ark and bringing Christ and bringing back Christ because you remember what he said. Do you remember what he said? Withdraw the ark. We don't want the ark now. Do you know why he said that? Because he saw the battle was going well. 
Bring the ark. Old things in an awful state. Bring God. Bring the Lord. Get the Lord in. The Lord has to come into everything. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing that for the Lord. I tell you, we're deluded, so many of us. Bring the ark. Bring the ark. Bring the ark. No, no, we don't need the ark now. We're able to do it ourselves. We don't need the ark now. Jonathan has led, and the armor bearer has led, and the men are coming in behind, and I'm going to come in behind too. We're going to do it without God. That's why it came in here, where God put the Holy Spirit in here, that God wrought a great victory. That's why it came in there. Because God wrought the victory. Oh, God help us. Bring the ark. Bring back the ark. Not a bit better than COVID. Close down. Open up. Close down. Open up. Don't go. Don't come. A little bit better. And, and, and a boy like this, bring the ark. Bring back the ark. I, there's a whole lot of boys in the pulpit and that's what they're at. Oh, we'll bring Christ today, but we'll not bring him tomorrow. We'll bring him at the funeral, but we'll not bring him to your own people on Sunday morning. They're hypocrites. They have a form of godliness. I'm holy and dignant this morning as I prayed and fasted, let me tell you, over this message. When he was seeing the victory was coming, he ran, and, and, and the people were on the run. Man, he got in behind them. I want to say to you this morning, very lovingly, we can have all the altars, we can have all the arcs, we can have all the Urim and the Thummins and the Ephods and the Lavers and the Candles and the Basins and the Bullocks, and no power. We can have all the shadows, we can have all the forms, we can all have the doctrines of no power. Now listen, don't get me wrong. We can have the hats and the Bibles and the suits and the skirts and the bread and the wine, no power. No power. We can have the bands, we can have the musician, we can have the clapping, we can have the cheering, we can have the crowds, we can have everything we want, but no power. God, God, God is gone. Oh, he's gone. When are we going to wake up to the fact that we have drove him out? I will return to my place. Hosea 12. I will return to my place until until they acknowledge their offenses and repent of their sins. We can have all these things, my friend, while there's nothing wrong with them. We can have them all and no power from such turn away. Now here's a heavy one for me this morning. The call that came from the fundamental evangelical church down to the years to the apostate, ecumenical, modernistic, humanistic churches from such turn away, and quite rightly so. And I back it to the hilt and preach it to the hilt. Be not unequally yoked Christians with Christians in fellowships. Be not unequally yoked in business. 
Oh, he said, there's the way in a swan song again. Well, you'll have to put up with it. Do ye not unequally yoked in business? Be ye not unequally yoked in churches? Be ye not unequally yoked in marriage? And be ye not unequally yoked in lodges? From such turn away. Hinder you. All these things will hinder you in your walk for God. This test came here to the evangelical fundamental church when COVID started. The test came. Those that told us, you stand and you preach and you placard and you tell them and you tell them about sodomites and you tell them about ecumenism, you tell them about this and we'll defend the faith and we'll stand up. They shut their doors. And they scattered their flocks. And whether they like it or not, they'll have to take it. And they turned on people like me and others and hammered us and said all sorts of things about us. And all we were trying to do is keep the flock of Jesus Christ together. All we were trying to do with, 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 with knowing that it could cause lives and knowing it could cause our own lives. We said we'll keep the flock together. So the tune has turned now. It has turned. When it came to the very door, they buckled. And not only did they buckle, but they said, we're we are going to do what the main churches says they'll do. They all say we're going to close. We'll close too. We'll agree. The first thing that this young man saw here was a form of godliness being practiced and he could see it and he could know it. And let me tell you, the children in your house know where there's hypocrisy. They know if you're the father at home that you're the father with the smile in the church and the tile. They know if you're the mother. They know. And I can tell you, this has bred a lot of discontent among young people. And I said the other morning from this pulpit, and I said again this morning, I wonder there's so many even near us with what they've seen in leadership over the years. And God bless them. And God bless you here, and we look after you here the best we can. The practice of form of godliness. Secondly, he prevented the food of necessities. You see, to finish the battle, to get the victory done, to bring full and complete revival to the land, God covered the wood with honey. (laughs) I don't know whether he used the bees or not, but he covered the wood with honey for thousands of soldiers in order that they would taste and take the honey. It would strengthen them and it would finish the battle and there'd be a better victory than the one there was. They were weary, you see. They were tired. They needed strength. They needed food. God says, I'll provide food. I'll give them the food. Now hold it out a minute. Only speaks many things in the word of God. Psalm 18, 81 and verse 18, it says this. Don't turn to it. He fed them on the finest of the wheat. 
and with the honey out of the rock, I satisfy them. The finest of the wheat speaks of the fine word of God, and the honey speaks of the Lord. I can take a dozen references where honey, the sweetness, speaks of Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I sat down under his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste with great delight. And he brought me into his banqueting house and his banner over me with love. The word strengthens. Now listen as I come to a close. The word strengthens and the honey sweetens. My generation of leaders, and I'm talking to myself and I'm, I'm repenting myself. My generation of leaders has to plead guilty to the fact that it has been often all the word, all the doctrine, all the tradition, with little honey. Little honey. Little joy, little praise, little sweetness. We've been heavy on John the Baptist's side and lean on the Savior's side. And remember the two of them were sent to complement one another. We are heavy on the side of the law and legalism and Sinai and the doctrines and the this, don't do this and don't do that and don't do the other thing. But no grace and no mercy, no love and no joy, no pardon, no love like the Savior. There's a word in the psalm that says this, go forth with the praises of God in your mouth and the two-edged sword in your hand. That's the two-winged bird. We have all went so often with the sword and we have pierced and we have wounded and we have hurt our young people and others with the word. We've pierced the word into their soul until they're sick and tired of it. No honey. No joy. No praise. No forgiveness. No understanding. No love. Let me give, as I close, a few honeycombs that I want you to drop your rod in this morning and taste. But I have tasted of. And if you haven't tasted of them, I trust that you will after this morning. First of all, the ministry of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Very seldom I heard it preached. Oh, you're saved and you're going to heaven. Nearly do what you like. Not the word of God. Oh, you're saved and you're eternally secure and everything's well. Not well. Not well. For 15 years, I never declared a... a an encounter that I had with God 10 years after I got saved. 10 years after I got saved, I felt like what Stephen Riddle was saying in his testimony the other night out in the field. Is this all that's to it? Is this all that this is about? Going to church and saying prayers and going in and out and doing what you have to do and going here and there. Is this all that's to it? Is this what the Christian life is about? My friend, listen, I was about to go back to my work. But I was promised I'd get back. 
And I went out to Market Hill Forest Park one day and I got down before God and I said, Lord, if this is all this is about, I don't want it. I see him, Stephen. He didn't take that from me. I says, Lord, I, I want something. something. This is all you died for. This is what it's all about. Do's and don'ts, running in, running out. This is about. And I had a marvelous encounter with God that day in the bushes out there. And for all day I lay before God and fast and prayer. God came to me. And I had an encounter with God and the filling of the Holy Ghost. Now, hold on a minute. A filling's not just once and for all. I need to be filled before I get up on this pulpit every time I get up on it. But there's an initial filling. And if you're saved and you're barren and you're cold this morning, you need to seek the Lord for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Tell you, five years after that, for five years, I never testified to it. You know why? Fear of men. The fear of men bringeth a snare. I can tell you that once I began to proclaim, once I began to tell the people in the missions and the meetings and in the testing, once I began to tell them about the encounter that I had with the Lord and, and, and that he had touched me and he had anointed me and he had filled me with the Holy Ghost, I tell you, I tasted honey that I never tasted before. I dipped the rod in the honey there. Boy, I'm glad I did. I'm feeding on it since. Secondly, you need to dip the rod in the honey of a full, surrendered life. A full, surrendered life to God. You know what do you do to do that? You get into the closet, you get down on your knees and you stay there. You say, Lord, my wife, my children, my job, my home, my health, all to Jesus I surrender. What do you sing it for? All to Jesus I surrender. Everything on the altar and do it every day. I've been doing it every day for 40 years. Oh, it's costly. <laughs> Well, they tell you it's costly, right? It's costly. Well, you see, it's costly because I'll tell you, when you get into the presence of God and you ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Ghost and you say, I'm surrendering my life for whatever you want me to do and I'm staying here, Lord, and I'm coming here every day until, until there's nothing betwixt us. It'll come. It'll be costly. It'll be costly. You'll have a lion to slay. Lions to slay. Because it wasn't until Samson slew the lion that the honey came out. The honey, bee, honey hive, he fed on the honey from the lion. And the Lord Jesus has come to destroy the powers of darkness and the powers of hell and he has destroyed it and he has given us the honey to enjoy it. Are you enjoying it this morning? It's costly. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's costly or not. It's a reasonable service. You know what the Lord said to me, and I'm finished now, you know what the Lord said to me probably many years ago now, he said to me, Bertie, I want you... I was quoting Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech, Paul says, I beseech ye, 
Brethren, by the mercies of God. The Lord stopped me. He says, you put your name in there. I says, what? Say, I beseech ye, Bertie, by the mercies of God. And then he started to talk to me about the mercies. Oh boy, if you were listening to me testimony, the night's not an only mercy from beginning to end. Only for Pat and the Lord, I wouldn't be here. Only for the pity of the Lord and the compassion of Pat, I wouldn't be here this morning. I owe my whole life. Bertie, present, by the mercies of God, present your body a living sacrifice. Don't come on a stick to the Lord hobbling at 60 or 70. A living sacrifice, young men, young women, hearing me this morning, this is what our Ulster needs, this is what our land needs, this is what our church needs. It needs young men and women dedicated to God, all on the altar to God, saying, Lord, I'll go to Africa, I'll go to China, I'll go wherever. Nothing else is any good, friend. Nothing else will work. He'll maybe never take you there. I beseech ye, Bertie, by the mercies of God. And I went over all the mercies and I began to weep. That ye present your body a living sacrifice, holy. Number one, holy. You're tinkering about with pornography is not holy. You're scandaling other people is not holy. I'll tell you, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Nothing unreasonable about it. It's your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind unto that which is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. That's it. Quote it every morning if you believe it. It's costly. Why would it not be costly? Why would it not be? I never got much teaching on these things. I never got much teaching on restitution. I tell you, that's a, that's, that's a rod you need to dip in honey. Some of you that are saved for years and there's things in your life, you need to go back and sort out. That's why there's no blessing. That's not why you're not enjoying God. That's why you can't stay in the closet. That's why you can't pray. How could you pray? You go back to the factory and the skill and bring back those badges you stole. Go back to the office that you worked in and bring back the pens and the pencils and the rulers. Go back to the shop in Derrigonley 20 years later and tell them you stole cigarettes. God told me to do it. I tasted the honey when I did that, let me tell you. I tasted the honey. I'm closed. The honey, my friend, it has to go. The pride, the jealousy, the envy, all has to be laid on the altar. And then you'll taste the honey. And you'll taste the joy of the Lord. And you'll want to serve him. And you'll want to come to the meetings. And you'll want to pray. cross, the cross, the cross, the 
cross. The reasonable service. <laughs> Gaze upon Calvary for a minute. The 18-year-old prince Zanderoff was heir to a fortune amongst the Moravians. He was in Dusseldorf in Germany one day. He had all the land and all the houses and he owned thousands of acres. And he was in Dusseldorf in Germany one day and he went into a museum and he saw the statue Michelangelo's statue of Christ on the cross. Ego homo was written underneath it. Behold the man! Young Zindendorf with all his brains and all his money, 18 years of age, stood and he, he gazed and he could literally see the blood flowing down and, and the visage marred and his back like a ploughed field. And that young man stood there and he shook. But then he looked further down and he saw this. This is what I have done for you. What have you done for me? This is what I have done for you. What have you done for me? You are charming young heart. Let us pray. Father, we pray this morning that you'll take away what has been of man. We wouldn't want anything to do with it, Lord. We don't want a man to be glorified in any way. Lord, have we said anything in flight of preaching that would grieve or hinder the Holy Spirit? We're sorry, Lord. And all we want to do is to please thee and to serve thee and to see thy people on fire. See leaders rising up, Lord, that will go forth and men following them into the battle, Lord, to the victory. Nobody to hinder them, nobody to stop them, nobody to keep back the honey. Oh, God, forgive us for keeping back the honey, Lord. Forgive us for keeping back the honey for the young men and young women, Lord, that they're starved and they're weary and they're tired and they're frustrated. Oh, God. Oh, God. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, take away the pride, the haughtiness, the unforgiveness, the jealousy. And pour just afresh this morning that out of this meeting might raise up men and women. Because we know we can have a saved soul and a lost life. Amen.